This morning, I'm kicking off our Momentum series. Uh, I wasn't very creative with the name. Uh, I normally like to make fun names for our series, but this time around, it was like, well, we're Momentum, and we want to talk about Momentum. Uh, but specifically, uh, this series, I want to talk about something that maybe isn't so flash uh, in terms of when we use it, it's like, Ooh, uh, but it's the word stewardship. And I've been getting a new revelation of stewardship, and I want to bring it to you today. And we're going to talk about it through one of the parables that Jesus shared, and it's in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to give you a bit of background, and then we're going to get into uh, pulling this parable apart. Uh, Matthew 23, so a couple of chapters before that, we see that the disciples and Jesus, they're in Jerusalem, and they walk past the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the, the structure is magnificent. It's just a beautiful temple. And so the disciples turned to Jesus and said, look at this temple, it's amazing. And, and then Jesus, maybe he was a bit cranky, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but I said, you know that? Not one stone's going to stand on another one. <laughs> so you're kind of like, oh, well, what's going on? So Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they are at the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know if I can cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> um, um, and the Mount of Olives literally looks into Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. Uh, in fact, the Mount of Olives is actually a little bit higher than Jerusalem. And so uh, Beck and I were there a few years ago, and we were looking directly into the Temple Mount. That's where the Mount of Olives is. And so the disciples at the Mount of Olives said to Jesus, when is that temple going to get destroyed? And in their concept, they're like, if the temple is destroyed, it must be the end of the world. And so they asked Jesus, well, what is the sign of the end of this age? And so Jesus, in Matthew 24, he begins to describe some signs, some things about both the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. Uh, we know that the destruction of the temple wasn't the end of the age because that happened in AD 70, a long time ago. And obviously, the end of the age hasn't come yet. And so there's some things that we can kind a, uh, a hold in mind for some time in the future. But then we hit Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus begins to share three different parables. The first parable is called the parable of the ten virgins. And these ten virgins, uh, they are waiting for the groom to arrive. And the groom is delayed. He's taking a while. And Jesus was using that as an analogy that one day he's going to go away after his crucifixion, his, his ascension, and one day he's going to come back. But there's going to be this delay. And then they talk about how five of these virgins were wise because they were prepared for Jesus to come again. And five of these virgins were foolish because they weren't prepared. They weren't resourced for when the groom was going to come again. So that's the first parable. We'll talk about the second parable today, so I'm going to skip over that. And the third parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats on the day of judgment. So we see that uh, God's going to come and there's going to be a day of judgment and He's going to separate the sheep from the goats and then He's going to say to the sheep that you are able to enter my rest because you have lived according to my ways, basically. And then to the goats, enter into destruction because you've not lived according to my ways. So when we read these three parables together, we will understand uh, why Jesus talked about the parable of the talents as well, okay? And so uh, let's dive into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. What is going to be like this man going on a journey? I think it is referring to Jesus coming again. 
So he goes away and then he comes back. Okay? And so uh, uh, during this period of this delay when Jesus is gone, this is what he is talking about in this parable. And so he calls these servants to him, and to one he gave five bags of gold, or if you're reading a different translation of mine, it says five talents, uh, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. Now, a talent, uh, obviously we don't really get uh, the concept of how much uh, worth that is, right? Because we don't use uh, talent as a weight of measure. As I did my research, one talent is, as scholars thought, it was about 20 years wages of a common laborer. We're probably not using Australia's common laborer because Australia's common laborers are probably paid more than most common laborers in the world. Um, but a common laborer's wage for 20 years, that is about, I don't know, half of your working life. Half of a common person's working life here you go. So when it says that there were these three servants and the master gave them according to their ability, the third servant was still given half of his working life's wage in one sitting, okay? So we're not talking about, oh, you get 20, go do something at 20 bucks. He was giving possibly a huge investment of money, all right? So hold that in mind. The men, uh, sorry, uh, then he went on his journey, verse eight, uh, 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had dug one bag, sorry, the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There's a very key verse. We're going to come back to verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Sometimes we don't realize this, but remember where this parable is situated. It was situated with the ten virgins waiting for the groom and on the day of judgment with the sheep and the goats, the three parables. When it says that the master is holding them to account, a day of accounting, it is something that us as Christians need to realize that one day there will be a day of accounting of our lives. We have to realize this. If we don't realize this, we are liable to make mistakes like what we're going to be reading in a moment. So there is going to be an accounting of our lives. Maybe we don't like talking about that in our modern context because isn't God supposed to bless me? Isn't God supposed to prosper me? Why does He prosper me and then give, hold me to account for what He's prospered me with, right? But what we need to understand is this key concept of stewardship, that my life is not my own. It was purchased at a price. And so when Jesus was talking to his disciples, to people who said, I am going to follow you, I am going to live according to your kingdom's ways, he says, guys, you are going to be entrusted with much. And this much is a lot. But at the same time, there is going to be an accounting to what you are given. All right, so we'll come back to that in just a moment. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me two bags of gold. I've gained two more. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. How do we know that he's a hard man? Because he harvests where he has not sown and gathers where he has not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I would return and receive it back with interest. So take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. So one thing that um, when I've heard this parable, I don't know, a hundred times. Anyone in the same boat as me? I went to uh, Sunday school when I was a kid. And I remember that one time it was extra special when we were reading this because they had produced a comic. Yeah, there's a boy, a young boy. I was like, yeah, comic. This is so much better than reading words. And so there was this parable drawn out, and there's this master. He calls the three servants, and then he gives each, um, you know, the, 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 the gold, the bag of gold that he wanted to give them. There's the one of the big bag, there's one of the medium bag, and there's the one of the little bag. And then the master goes away, and then the master, uh, and then we see the, the, the one with the five bags and the one with the two bags. Immediately they go, one goes a marketplace and purchases a, a, a fishing boat or something and he begins to make money out of that enterprise that he's got. Another one goes and buys a farm and he begins to plant and he begins to reap a harvest and then we see the third one. He gets this bag of gold. He goes and he digs it and you know there's all these little thought bubbles. It's like oh what am I going to do with this bag of money? What if I lose it? What if it's too much risk? Oh no, what if I stuff this up and the master's going to get so angry? I, I don't know if I got what it takes. All of these thought bubbles are popping up. He digs a hole, he puts it in, he, sit, he, 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 he hides it, and then he sits next to it and he continues to worry. And then the next panel says, sometime later, dot, dot, dot. And then uh, we see all three servants are making their way back to the master's house and they have to give account for themselves. You know, that's the picture that I read, I have when I read this. Anyone say, same as me so far? Now, this sometime later, in my little, little child's mind, but also, really, I never really thought about it until this week when I was looking into this parable. How long was sometime later? How long? Two hours? Ten? A couple of days? A couple of weeks? I put forward to you that it would have been a significant amount of time. Years, decades perhaps, for those two servants to double their investment. If anyone has been in any kind of business, you know that doubling your investment is not something that happens easily, right? You don't just put, oh, you know, I'm going to put this money into this business and next minute you're like a millionaire. No, it's a lot of work. And I also put forward to you another little thought that is probably a bit more modern, but it's actually in there. You know, the master tells his third servant, you should put it with the bank so that I would have got it with interest. Because I wanted interest. 
How many of you know that if you put money in the bank, the interest received is kind of crap, right? Especially if there was a COVID situation that this servant was living through. If he puts, I don't know, a million dollars in the bank, the interest would probably be like 20 cents. For that 20 cents to be significant in the master, it probably would have been at least 30 years, I would say. It's like, oh, $5 in return. Woohoo-hoo! I don't know if you're me, but I'm cynical about the banks. Um, but the master said, you should have at least put it with the banks. It would have, over this time, at least done something, right? So it would have been, I don't know, years. And in the context of our lives, when we see what Jesus is talking about, we are in that delay season. The in-between season that Jesus walked on this earth, brought salvation to us, and he is going to come back. And in this in-between season, it feels like a delay, and we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know when the day of accounting is going to be. And so was it that this servant, this third servant, dug a hole, sat next to the hole, and sat, and, and sat there for 30 years? What was that servant doing after he dug the hole, put the talent in there, covered it up? Maybe it was an hour of like, what should I do about this? I don't think he would have spent three weeks agonizing over this very talent. So what did he do? What did he do? That was a thought that struck me this week when I was reading this. What did he do? I mean, the fact that this is a parable means that Jesus made this story up. And so it's not a factual story. It's not like this really happened. It was told for a reason. But I think that because it's a parable, it also gives us a little bit of room um, to perhaps think a little bit about this and and to put our imagination to use and and to make this a little bit relevant to us. So uh, this is what I think, right? Imagine this big box is um, the box, the talent that God gave, that a master gave to the servant. So he was like, all right, here's your talent. Go do something with it. And he takes that talent and then he buries it. And then he doesn't know what to do with it, knowing that one day he's going to need to return that to the master. Notice what this servant says when he returns it to the master. He says to the master, I know you to be a hard man because you reap where you have not sown and you gather where you've not scattered, right? So in other words, this man was saying to the master, I know you want more than this. And he said, I'm scared of you, right? He knows what the master wants. He's scared of the master and yet he gives back what the master does not want. Kind of stupid, right? Are you seeing this? Why would I go, I'm so scared of you, Beck. Please don't hurt me. I know that you always want more than what you've invested into my life, but I'm only going to give you what you've invested into my life. You're kind of asking for it. So why did this servant do this very action that he knew his master would not accept? What was he so scared of? What was his issue? I think 
His issue was not so much about losing the talent, but his issue was that the master would require all the effort that he put into this box to grow this box. All of that would need to be returned to the master with interest. And so I began to see this picture. I think that this guy buried this talent saying, I don't want to put any effort into this because if I put any effort into this, that's going away. I do not get to keep this. He puts it in the hole in the ground and then he goes and finds his own little fancy box. <laughs> and then he says, I'm going to put effort into this because the master doesn't get to take this. If it's the master's, I have to return it to the master's, but if it's mine, it stays mine. He did not sit at that box for 20 years, people. He was building his own box. It wasn't worth a talent, but it was his, and it belonged to him, and no one would ever be able to take it from him because I built it, I invested into it, and this is mine. When I saw that, I was like, you know, he dresses up his box. It's a beautiful box. It's got color. It's nice. It's not some dumb office work. By the way, if you ever buy things from Officeworks and they deliver it to you, you know what was in that? I think it was like one printer cartridge. <laughs> All right? And they gave me a whole flipping box for one printer cartridge. <sighs> so he builds into his box so that when the day of accounting comes, he brings back his master's box. I didn't lose it, but neither did I use it. There's nothing more to it. This is it. He comes back to the master. I know if I used it, you would have taken whatever else would have grown from it. You would have required that of me. And so I didn't use it. Got my own box. And this is yours. You don't get to touch that master because I built that. I invested into that. Your talent's still in here. I didn't touch it. It was in the ground. Ha <laughs> Mine. Yours. All right? Let's, let's be clear. I wonder how many of us treat God like that? I wonder how many of us take what God has given to us and go, I don't want to use this. Because if I use this, I don't get to keep this. What about my life? What about my goods, my house, my car, my lifestyle, my relationships? What about what I need and what I want? What if I invest into this and I miss out on having anything in return? What if one day God holds all of this back? And I've met so many Christians. I've met many Christians in my life and I've met some who are in that place where it's like, I sowed so much into your kingdom, God, and yet you took everything that is precious from me. I sat down with people who have lost what seems to be everything and they're going, what am I supposed to do now? Because I've invested my whole life into that and I don't even have my own box. What do we do? 
You see, that's the wrong picture. See, the servants thought that by building into the master's box on the day of accounting, he would not have it back. It will be given to the master and he'll be left with nothing. But do you read what happened to the other two servants? You see, the master didn't have master's box written on it. He had our box written on it. When the the servant with five talents grew it by another five more, he kept all ten. In fact, the master continued to bless him with more. And then he says, whoever has more will be given. But whoever has not done anything with what I've given, even what he has will be taken away. Cast him out into the outer darkness. You don't get to keep that. You see, in your box, it might look all nice and well, but when you look into it and you see what you get to keep for eternity, there's nothing in it. We don't get to keep our wealth. We don't get to keep our clothes. We don't get to keep our cars. We don't get to keep even our relationships. As a youth pastor, this was the thing that people hated hearing the most. When you go to heaven, your spouse is not your spouse anymore because there's no marriage in heaven. And they go, what? (laughs) Yes, you're married to Christ. You're the bride of Christ. There's something so much better. But I want my boyfriend. It's like, stuff your flipping boyfriend. Start investing into the kingdom. Your box does not go to heaven. Your box does not last in eternity. And that's why Jesus taught again and again, do not invest in the treasures of this world where moth and rust will destroy, but invest into what is eternal and that is worthwhile. God's not saying you don't get to keep your efforts. He's saying, see what you're investing into. And then he says, come and share in my happiness. What the master has given to you, it's not a burden on you. He's saying you get to use this and then you get to share in his happiness. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, It really puts a lot of things in perspective. Whenever I think, oh no God, that's a bit too hard for me right now because I don't know if my box is stable enough. I don't know if I got enough in my box. And God's like, reach into mine. That's there for you, for us. The culture of individualism will lead us to worry about who this belongs to and a legal battle That maybe one day we're going to have. Who gets custody of the box, God? And God's saying it's ours. When we realize that's what life is about, every time I get to choose between my box and God's box, I'm choosing our box. Every time I have to choose between something that is temporary and selfish, I'm choosing this. Now, I'm not saying 
I'm not saying that you sell everything and work for the church. I'm not saying that you leave your spouse and become a monk and serve in some monastery somewhere. Because all of those relationships can be part of God's box. But somehow, we have developed this idea, when I go to work, God's not part of it. Because that's my work. Right? When God is saying, no, 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 stuff that, bring me to work. That's revolutionary for some of us. And some of you might say, Nate, it's easy for you to say that because you're a pastor. It's like, yes, I still have to actively and deliberately remember to reach into God's box when I'm at work. Because I'm smart enough to do my work without God. But I'm also dumb enough to do my work without God. And I've tried it. It doesn't make sense to do life without God. It doesn't. His giftings, his talents, his grace on your life is more than sufficient. At the drop of his head, 20 years wages. I'm not saying that you're going to win the lottery tomorrow just so that you can do God's work. But I'm saying that look at what you have because God has already allocated you something that you're meant to be doing today. You're meant to be using that today. You're not meant to be using it when you have set up your funny little empire and you're all set and ready to go. No, that's not stewardship. Stewardship is not when I'm ready. Stewardship is I am ready. I am here. I am breathing. Today is a day that I'm a steward of the Lord. Ah, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because I every day am living out of the goodness that God has poured into my life. My box is just a flimsy old box. Sometimes it's nice to live in it. But I realize that the greater treasure is here. When we give this morning, I'm not trying to get you to give more. It's not what I want to do. I want you to consider, am I being a steward of what God has given to me? Or has my box claimed my life? See, if we either serve God's box or we serve our box. That's what the Bible teaches us. You can't have two masters. You either serve God and hate money. That's what Jesus said. Or you hate money and love God. Jesus wasn't saying you can't have money. But Jesus is saying as a priority, if I'm serving this, this is secondary. In fact, this serves this. But if I serve this, I have to necessarily let go of that. How many of us are living in that way? Stewardship is a whole life, every moment, every day. As you prepare to place your envelope in, you might have already decided what to give, you might have already given. That's fantastic. I'm not asking you to change that. But what I'm asking you is to check your heart. Because we can come to these things and still be thinking about building our box. I've given to you, God. What are you going to give back to me? God's like, look at our box. Look at what I've given you. It's more than enough. I found this video a few weeks ago, and um, it really challenged me. It is about a businessman and what he's done and, and the generosity, but I want you to hear his heart, and I want you to hear his strategy because he had given his life to living out of God's box. 
And I love it. And I wish that more Christians would have that kind of heart because it's, it's going to change the world. And I hope that you're going to be as inspired as I am. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.